Well, good morning on this beautiful day. The title of uh, this morning's message is Live Ready. Live Ready. What does that mean? Well, we're going to start with a story, uh, a testimony of Heather Baltzer and Maria Nurt, uh, two members of this church family with a vision. So let's uh, watch the video. God invites us to be a part of his grand story. And over this past year, he reminded us that he can accomplish great things through us if we are willing. In 2017, we returned from a short-term missions trip to India with conviction in our hearts. We had connected with a children's home and learned of a need for a boys' dormitory. Plans had been drawn up a number of years ago for a four-story concrete building to house 75 boys. But sadly, there was no funding to advance the project. It was estimated to cost $600,000, a lofty and seemingly insurmountable goal. In the tension between wanting to help and feeling inadequate, God called us to trust Him and have faith in what He can do. So we decided to plan a fundraiser, and with much prayer, we saw God take our loaves and fishes and multiply them. We shared our vision with those around us and saw support flood in from places we'd never expected. Tasks were being crossed off our list without us even lifting a finger. Soon we had over 100 volunteers signed up, not to mention the generous contribution from the Sikh temple who catered our event free of charge. Through God's mighty hand, we saw $140,000 raised in just one evening. We often limit God. We tend to think in terms of what is humanly possible and ask for the bare minimum. But when we recognize that He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think and offer ourselves, He blows us away. We serve the God of the impossible. Why not dream big and see what He will do? So, why not dream big and see what God will do? The parable of today, the parable of the talents, addresses that very question. Uh, Jesus is giving his last discourse before his passion, his death on the cross. And in Matthew chapter 24, he leaves the temple. The disciples call his attention back to the temple because from their perspective, it's an architectural wonder, and Jesus predicts its destruction immediately. That prophecy, of course, fulfilled within a generation in 70 A.D. The disciples, they need to understand what it looks like to live ready. Jesus, in his teaching, he wants to instruct them what it looks like to live ready for his coming. They ask the question, okay, so what is the sign of your coming? What is the sign of the close of the age? And Jesus says, well, there are going to be rumors. There's going to be rumors of wars. There will be suffering and persecution. There will be famine and earthquakes and calamities. The love of many will grow cold. But here's the good news. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed around the world so that all people groups might know. These are the birth pains. Now, has there ever been a generation since the ascension of Jesus when these things were not present? No. Jesus has been right at the door since his ascension. He is always near. But no one knows the hour that he will return except the Father. No one knows, but there is a way to live ready. What is it? First point in your outline, live ready for Jesus' return. The parable today helps us understand what it looks like to live ready. So let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 25. If uh, you grabbed a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 830, 830. 
Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words that you spoke to your first disciples, and we know that you are present by your Spirit. You promised that your Spirit would be present to guide us into all truth. And so we ask you, Lord, this morning, that by your Spirit you would help us understand this parable and know how to put it into practice, how to apply it to our lives today. So we open our hearts and minds and invite you to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now here's a shift. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A couple of words that require some explanation. You will have noticed the word servant, of course. In the original, the word is doulos. That means slave. So when we think about slavery in the ancient world, we need to understand that slaves, yeah, they were not free, but they were not considered to be subhuman. Many slaves were well-educated. They could work as, as uh, business managers, as accountants, as government bureaucrats. Many of them actually were given a lot of authority and responsibility. So it's important to understand that about slavery. Then, secondly, the English word talent. Our English word talent actually comes right from this parable, but the meaning of the word talent in English has changed over time. And so today, when we think of talents, we think of physical ability, skill, mental aptitude. Talent in the parable refers to money. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages. So those two words, slave and talent, important to understand what they mean. Another note, this parable, like many other parables, is filled with allegorical elements. What does that mean? There are things that symbolize other things. There are some hidden meanings. For example, the master is a metaphor for Jesus. 
The slaves, a metaphor for disciples. The delay of the master refers to the delay of the second coming of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's look at the parable a little more carefully. Jesus says to his disciples, disciples, the kingdom of heaven, it's like this. It's like a master who entrusts his property to his slaves and then goes on a long journey. One slave receives 100 years of wages. That's a lot of money. Another slave receives 40 years of wages. And a third slave receives 20 years of wages. So all three actually receive an enormous sum. That's the first thing to note. With gratitude, acknowledge God's huge investment in you. With gratitude, as disciples of Jesus, we are to acknowledge God's huge investment in us. All disciples, by God's grace, have received much. What have we received? Well, first of all, salvation. Salvation, it is so rich. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, a new identity in Christ, purpose. We'll come back to this. What else? Well, our testimony, our unique life transformation story, which you and I get to tell. The Spirit of God Himself, spiritual gifts, natural abilities and passions, time relationships, opportunities, money, the Word of God. We have received much. In the parable, the Master gives what is appropriate to each disciple. He treats them differently. We see this principle also when it comes to spiritual gifts. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says something very similar. No, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I remember having a conversation with a friend about spiritual gifts, and he said to me, I think I have received all of the spiritual gifts. What do you say to a person who says that? Oh, if you're present, no need for the body of Christ. You've got it all. You can do it all. Now, that's not the problem of most of us. Most of us actually think less of ourselves. We get sidetracked. We get immobilized by other ways of thinking. We compare ourselves with others and think, well, I definitely did not get five, nor two, maybe one, maybe half of one. I didn't receive a whole lot. We get sidetracked by our thoughts, by the way that others message us. And we think that life is just unfair, and so we stop. Just a simple word about fairness. Life is seriously not fair. Some people are born into poverty. Others are born into excessive wealth. Just compare our situation today with, this, with the plight of people in Mozambique today. Life is seriously not fair. Some people receive a lot of talent. Others receive less. For example, in terms of music, if I were to compare myself with the people that just led us in worship or were to, were to compare my musical gifting with Pastor Ron, I would never sing another note. Right, Pastor Ron? At least he would encourage me not to. 
If I were to compare myself with my younger brother, who's a great athlete, I would never pick up another hockey stick and shoot a puck. I'd never pick up another basketball. Life is not fair. Some receive talents. Others receive talents as well, but not as much. That's just the way it is. Life is not fair. But according to the parable, we are all entrusted with much. So the question that I should ask myself is not, why didn't God give me more? The question I should ask myself is, what am I doing with the much that God gave me? The much that he put in my hands. One member of our Willingdon Church family, she was considering going on a short-term mission trip. And as she thought about that, she thought about herself. And she said to her husband, I consider myself to be a one-talent person. She read the parable, and the Lord spoke to her and said, even if you have only one talent, will you not invest that talent that I have entrusted to you? She went. (laughs) We have all received much. In the parable, the first two slaves, they understand at once what God has entrusted to them. They know that it's something very, very special, and they work with the capital to make it grow. Over a long period of time, they work at it. Actually, they don't win in the lottery. After a long time, the master, he returns. They've taken that time, that time of waiting for the master's return, they've taken that as an opportunity to actually invest, to do something with what the master has entrusted to them. They've taken risks, and when the master returns, he, can, he commends them. He commends them, and it's interesting. He uses exactly the same words for the first two slaves. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So, because they have been faithful, he commends them. He gives them a word of approval. You're good and faithful. And then he gives them a very generous pension Freedom 55, a great retirement plan. Right? No, he gives them more authority. It appears that disciples don't retire. And then he invites them into his joy. Enter into the joy of your master. So there's joy in the now as a person receives what has been invested and entrusts it to the Lord and, and seeks to see it grow. As one does that, there's joy in life. And of course, upon Christ's return, complete joy. Enter into the joy of your master. The master refers to the amount given as little, not because it is little, but from his perspective, it's not all that much. He has millions of talents to give. He gives one five, another two, and another one. So from his perspective, it's little. The reward given to the two slaves is identical. One doubled five talents, came back with another five. Another had two talents and doubled it, came back with two. Came back with different amounts, but the reward was the same. Why? Because what the master values is not the amount gained, but the faithfulness of the servant. That's what's important. Now, the focus of the story is actually the shift that happens from the circumstance of the first two to the third. We're to compare what happens to the first two slaves and what happens to the third. The third, he reveals what it looks like to not be ready, to not live ready. The third slave actually should have had the easiest time of all. He had the least to work with. But what does he do? He digs a hole and buries it. 20 years of wages under the ground. It was not uncommon in the ancient world to bury 
things that were valuable. In fact, when the Romans uh, conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD, they found all kinds of gold and silver and treasured articles buried under the ground. It was a way to keep things for safekeeping. Now, just imagine, many years ago, um, I'm planning to marry Judy, who is now my wife. So I think about a wedding ring for her, something that I want to give her, something that she is to wear. And so I think about the shaping of the gold and the setting of the diamonds. And finally, the day, our wedding day comes, and I give her that wedding ring. And then sometime later, I notice that Judy isn't wearing her wedding ring. So I ask her, Jude, what about the wedding ring? Where is it? Oh, I buried it behind the oak tree in the backyard. Why did you bury it behind the oak tree in the backyard? Oh, it's safe. Don't worry. Nobody knows it's there. You, you've missed the point. I gave it to you so that you would wear it. Use it. And isn't that true quite often about what God has invested in us? Sometimes we just bury it. You see, the third slave, he fails to value his master's intention. He thinks that he is actually entitled to judge his master. Look at what he says about his master. He says, you reap where you haven't sown. You take advantage of the labor of others. He blames his master and he excuses himself. And the master would say, yes, I did not distribute equally, but you didn't even value what I gave you. Why did you do less with the least? If he wasn't willing to take any risks, then he should have at least invested with bankers, done the safest thing and gained a bit of interest. You see, the the third slave's behavior, it unveils his misperception of the master. He thinks that the master is actually unfair, unjust. He's not good. He's not worthy of trust. He is abusive. He doesn't love the master. He actually fears the master. He doesn't trust the master. He actually wants nothing to do with the master. He rationalizes why he shouldn't invest. He wants to be left alone. And his wrongdoing is just that. He does Nothing. And that's a terrible way to live. The master doesn't intend for any of his disciples to live that way. So in disgust, he takes the talent from the third slave and gives it to the one who began with five and came back with five more. He casts the worthless slave into utter darkness. And if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, that refers to hell and eternal damnation. You see, the relationship between the master and the slave is severed because the slave doesn't want anything to do with the master and wants nothing to do with the master's investment in him. The point is not that God is this greedy, insatiable capitalist. No, the point is that he seriously disapproves of wasting what has been given. No matter how much or how little has been given, the disciple of Jesus invests what has been entrusted. That's the way to live ready. So take kingdom risks with what God has entrusted to you. Do not play it safe. Do not play it safe. Had the third slave invested what God entrusted to him, what would Jesus have said to him? Well, exactly what he said to the first two slaves. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what he would have said to that. It's like Jesus had more for him. Jesus had joy for him. Some consider verse 29 to be a difficult saying. Let's reread it. Verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will, be get, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We saw exactly the same wording in the parable last week, the parable of the sower. So in the parable of the sower, the one who receives the word of God with an open and honest heart receives it, meditates on it, seeks to understand it, and then obeys it, puts it in practice, that disciple receives more revelation, more understanding. That's what it means there in Matthew chapter 13. Here in Matthew chapter 25, the basic idea is that the one who receives the investment that God has made, receives it, owns it, and then invests what has been entrusted, that disciple will receive more, be entrusted with more. Edward Schweitzer in his commentary on Matthew writes this, where God's gift has already borne fruit, God gives in superabundance. Where it has remained fruitless, it has lost completely. This means that God's gift can never be passively possessed. It's like a muscle. It must be worked and stretched or it withers. The point is simple. As disciples of Jesus, we are to take kingdom risks, not play it safe. The joy is found in taking those kingdom risks with what Jesus has entrusted. We are to be active servants, not passive passengers on a flight to heaven. Jesus never intended that for us. So invest all that God has entrusted without fear. God wants to give you more. God wants to give you more. A few days ago, I had a conversation with uh, Blair Staples. Blair Staples is a retired police officer. He's now our short-term mission coordinator here at Willingdon. He had just returned from a trip to the Amazon. And he writes this. I'll quote him. Each time we send a team, I always ask the question, is it worth it? One thing I do know for sure is that on every trip I've been on, God has revealed himself to me. As the team was leaving for Brazil... I had the opportunity to remind the team of their identity in Christ. Each member of our team is significant in the kingdom. Matthew 5 says that we are the salt and light of the earth. John 15 states that we've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. He goes on. This time our team consisted of two men and five women. Our purpose was not only to help build a church in a remote village, but to reach out to the women in the community and to conduct children and youth services. Would it not be easier, he asks, would it not be easier and more effective just to send money and let the locals do the ministry? That's a common question. He writes, upon arrival in Brazil, we had the privilege of meeting the directors of the mission. Becky, whose brother founded the mission, spoke of the significance of the team showing up. She said that when people in these villages see a team arriving from other parts of the world, it's an affirmation that God has not forgotten them, that God truly loves them. The next day, Blair writes, I was sitting on the boat traveling to the village, a 19-hour boat ride from Santarém. Joaquin, the construction supervisor, sat next to me. He reached over and grabbed my arm. 
pulling at my white skin, he said, Blair, it's so important that you are here. When the people of that village see your white skin and see your team from around the world, they will know that God loves them. Blair continues, God was not done. Near the end of our trip, a young Brazilian man came to share his journey with us. Both parents had abandoned him. He had been involved in drugs and gangs and was without hope when he found Jesus. After sharing his story, he told us that he sensed God's love for him when he saw one of our team members working on the church site. This team member was working very hard and nearly collapsed from heat exhaustion. He sensed God's love because of the witness of this team member working for this village. Blair goes on, God was not done. At the end of our trip, we were able to visit a compassion center in Fortaleza, Brazil. Willingdon church members have sponsored over 140 children in this city. While visiting the compassion center, the worker informed us that only 1% of sponsors show up to visit their sponsored child. Many of the children wonder if the compassion program is actually real. Are the sponsor letters they receive through compassion genuine? Or is the compassion staff writing them? These doubts linger in the minds of the children. Is my sponsor real? Does God really love me? When a sponsor shows up, they know God's love is real. Blair concludes, Some of the questions I am often asked by people as they consider going on a short-term team are, Can I add anything to the team? Will I be useful? I don't think I have the gifts to serve on that team. Was our team super gifted? Yes. The most important gift we had was the gift of being present with the people. The gifts of encouragement, of serving, of simple prayers for the people, of listening to the villagers share their stories and of sharing how God has worked in our lives. The powerful gift of just being present with the people, just showing up and sharing God's love. Being a disciple of Jesus is definitely not about not going, not doing, not serving, not loving, just sitting back, sitting in the background, hiding and watching life pass by. It is not about playing it safe. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So first point, we are saved by grace. It is never our own doing. It's never a result of our works. We are not rewarded with salvation because of all of our activity, because of our good deeds of charity, because of our religious practice. No. It's by grace. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he saved us and made us alive in Jesus. Paul writes in chapter 2, alive, not passive. Being saved by grace, who are we now? Who are we as disciples of Jesus? Well, according to Paul, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship. That word workmanship means work of art, masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, uniquely crafted for God's purposes, 
created in Christ Jesus, God has good works for us to do. Things that he has planned from before the foundation of the world, and he wants us to walk in them. Not as grounds for our salvation, but as evidence of it. So, God has invested in you for his eternal purposes. Know your purpose and live it. Know your purpose and live it. Well, again, what have we received from the master? What have you and I received? Well, first of all, the most amazing gift by grace, salvation. (laughs) You know, freedom from guilt. We don't have to live weighed down by guilt. Freedom from guilt, forgiveness of sin. Our shame removed. We are sons and daughters of God. Our fears dispelled. By the love of God, we have power to not sin. Amazing. Victory over death. Authority over the evil one. Peace with God. It goes on and on. Salvation. So rich. And because we are in Jesus, we have received the Spirit of God. Not just any spirit. No. The very Spirit of God abides in us. And the Holy Spirit graces us with spiritual gifts. Each one of us. We're equipped to do those good works by the Spirit of God. If we are disciples of Jesus, well, then we have a testimony, your unique life transformation story that you get to tell. Natural abilities, passions, music, athletics, mechanics, gardening, sewing, construction, it goes on and on. Money. We all have received finances, some more, some less, but we get to give generously. We serve a God of abundance. Time. We all have time. We take time for what is important to us. We take time for the people that are important to us. How are we investing our time? Next weekend, we are going to uh, love our city, love the city of Burnaby. And I was placed on a team. I deliberately not, did not choose my team. I was placed on a team that's going to Edmonds. So I'm going to join in a prayer walk. And then we're going to pick up garbage. And I forgot to tell the organizers that my spiritual gift is not picking up garbage. (laughs) But hey, anybody can do that, right? That's why they they looked at me and they said, okay, half a talent guy, he's going to pick up garbage. I get to pray with the team. It's going to be fun. The thing is, if we're available and willing to take a risk, God will use us for his glory. There's so many opportunities. Next Friday night, we will be together here worshiping, praying. Any disciple can worship and pray. Prayer is the work of the kingdom. Join us on Friday night. Some people will be fasting on Friday. If you've never fasted before, we've left you with a fasting guide. Many of you received it on the way in. We have more copies at the info desk. When you fast, You just say no to something and say yes to God. You seek to align your heart with God's. A traditional fast is saying no to food. If you're not, don't think you can do that, you can say no to social media. You can say no to something that you often think is important in your day. Say no to it and say yes to Jesus. Spend time in prayer. Relationships, we all have them. You know, we have family members, we have colleagues, fellow students, neighbors, Share with them what God has given you, what you've received. Share with them. 
The word of God, the parable of the sower, we learned last week that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you can read the word, come to an understanding of the word. Trust God to work as you speak forth his living and active word. May we live ready. We have been given much. As Heather and Maria asked in the video, why not dream big and see what God will do? Our life of discipleship, our life of following Jesus is meant, is designed by God to be a life-giving, a joy-filled adventure now And of course, in the life to come, our joy will be complete. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. So, Lord, we just thank you again for your goodness. You have been so good to us and have graced us with so much salvation in you. Lord, as we read your word, as we meditate on what you have done, what you have already accomplished, what you are doing in and through us, O God, may we be filled with gratitude. You've graced our lives with natural abilities, with passions, with spiritual gifts, You've equipped us for those good works that you have for us to do. Lord, your word tells us over and over that the time is short. May we invest the time that you have given us, the opportunities that you place before us. May we invest, O oh God, what you have entrusted to us for the furtherance of your kingdom. As we meet people throughout the week, may we be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. May we share your love with others. And in those opportunities to speak a word, may we speak forth your words of wisdom and counsel and direction, your word that is living and active. And we pray with Paul. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you.